beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, every so often it's good for us to reflect on our relationship uh, to God. Uh, to help us in this, we can ask ourselves a few questions. You know, we should ask ourselves, is God uh, really number one in my life? See, number one, is there anything or anyone coming between me and the Lord that is hindering my relationship to God? And then there is simply this, do I love God? Do I love Him? And why is it good for us to do this in our relationship to God? Well, it's because things and people so easily come between us and the Lord. These things continually arise in our hearts. The sin remaining in our hearts keeps wanting to dethrone God as number one in our lives. You know, this is seen so vividly in Israel's history. What was the number one problem for Old Testament Israel? It was idolatry. Time and time again, God called His people away from serving idols. In fact, this is one of the themes of the book of Isaiah. And in this book, in various places, also in our reading, God compares Himself to idols to show how foolish people are to worship them. This was the message to Israel. Just look at the reading uh, right before our text, God first declares the truth about Himself. I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Is there any God besides me, or is there any other rock? I know of none. And then in the verses 9 to 20, the Lord shows the foolishness of idolatry. It says, all who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in, they do not profit them. They don't benefit them in the end, and those who make them will be put to shame. That is, they will be uh, sorely disappointed by the idols they have been worshiping. And as you can see, uh, the mockery goes on. Look at how idols are made. A craftsman craftsman cuts down a tree. He did not grow. God did. And then he skillfully shapes it into an idol. All the while, he bows down to the thing he himself has made, saying, deliver me, for you are my God. The thing that he just made himself. See, he can't see that he's been duped can't see the foolishness of what he's doing. But you know what? We might see the foolishness of this idolatry described in Isaiah 44, but we need to be honest with ourselves. Idolatry of a different sort lives close to our hearts too. Consider only the words of Ephesians 5, that covetousness is idolatry. I'm sure we all struggle with that at various points, maybe even every day. In light of the foolishness of idolatry, the Lord says at the beginning of our text, remember these things I've just told you, just so clearly described 
for you. Remember them. Don't forget how senseless and foolish it is to make your own God and then worship that God. Don't let your hearts be captivated by things that will only disappoint you in the end. And don't be uh, duped by sinful desires thinking that sin will make your life better. Because guess what? It won't. It won't. And to guard our hearts of being captivated with idols, the Lord calls us to be captivated by Him instead. And how much better it is to serve Yahweh, the Lord. Look at the contrast between God and idols in our text. This is what the Lord says. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. So in these words of the Lord to his people and to us, we see three main differences between the Lord God and idols, false gods. The first difference is one of creation. Again, look at how it is with idols in verses 9 to 20. In idolatry, humans need to make their own gods, which is foolish. People try to play God by making their own image. Then look at the the words of the Lord in our text. Remember these things, O Jacob, I have formed you. We didn't create God. He created us, and He made us in His own image. What a privilege. And we can say along with Psalm 139, I praise you, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Our God, the only God, is the Creator. So that's the first difference, one of creation. The second difference is one of service. Now, humans were created to serve. We are serving beings, created to serve the Lord. We simply cannot get around this fact of who we are. And so everyone on earth is serving something or someone. So at the end of the day, people will either serve the Lord or they will serve idols. There's no getting around that. But what we need to understand is that there is a vast difference between serving God and serving idols. Yes, there is service in both instances, but they are of a different type See, what happens when you make your own God or when you serve an idol? You need to serve that idol in order to sustain it. And eventually, if not already now, your idol will become a burden to you. It will happen. Just a few chapters later in Isaiah 46... We see a a wonderful description of the burden of idolatry, service to idols. 
There we read, Bell bows down, Nubo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. Again, if you serve idols, you will eventually find your idol to be a burden. The thing you love more than God will turn to bitterness. But then there's service to God, and the Lord says in our text, remember these things, Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you, you are my servant. So God reminds us who we are. Yes, we are servants of the Lord, serving Him. And that might not sound like fun, but it's a service that brings freedom and liberty and refreshment. It's the opposite of idolatry. Consider only the words of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So yes, there is a yoke that we carry as we serve Jesus Christ. And there is, there is a burden. But as he says, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. As we serve the Lord, as we serve the Lord Jesus, as we come to him, as he is number one in our lives, we will find rest for our souls. And idols can never give that. So that's the second difference. The third difference is one of salvation. An idol will never save you. Verse 17 says, A craftsman bows down to his idol, praying, Deliver me, for you are my God. We can see it's useless. That God's not going to to save him. He can't do anything. And Isaiah 46 again says the same thing. If one cries to an idol, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. And serving an idol might seem enjoyable. Sin often has an element of uh, yeah, enjoyment to it. But in the day of trouble, your idol will fail you. It will leave you broken and destroyed because it cannot save. Created things cannot save you. But in contrast to that, there is a Lord who is mighty to save. In verse 22, the Lord tells Israel, I have redeemed you. God has redeemed his people. What does that mean? Literally, it means he has bought back his people. He purchased them for himself. And in the context of Isaiah, God, first of all, redeemed Israel from exile to Babylon. He'd redeemed them. He would bring them back into the land. He bought them back for fellowship with himself again. But in the overall scope of Scripture, God is our Redeemer in Jesus Christ. And he has bought us back by the blood of the cross. And he has bought us back into fellowship with himself in and through Jesus Christ. As Colossians 1 says, in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
That's something idols can never do. Nothing you might serve in all creation will ever take away your sins. But the Lord, the only God, He can and He has in Jesus Christ. And look at the beautiful image used to describe forgiveness in our text. He says, I've blotted out your transgressions like a cloud, your sins like mist. You know, think of the contrast between uh, before, during, and after a storm. Uh, before a storm, you may see a wall of thick clouds, uh, dark clouds moving towards you. That kind of happened yesterday morning as well. Maybe you saw that. The sense of a foreboding as it comes your way. When the storm comes overhead, the rain starts pouring, the thunder rolls, the lightning strikes. But eventually, the storm passes. And you're left with beautiful sunshine and wonderful blue sky as we do today. And that's the sort of contrast before you receive forgiveness and afterwards. Before, there's a sense of impending doom. We know in our hearts that we are guilty before God. And there's darkness. But through God's forgiveness, for His forgiving grace, there's beauty and peace again. That's what we have through Jesus' blood. We could look at this image in a slightly different way, too. God compares getting rid of sins to to making a cloud evaporate. Now, it's really astounding that God would use that image to describe the removal of our sins. You see, we so often don't understand the seriousness of sin. So often we think sin is no big deal. And perhaps in this life, we will never understand the full seriousness of sin. That's because we do not, we cannot fully comprehend a God in His majesty and holiness. But the Lord knows the seriousness of sin, and His just punishment for sin is an eternal punishment in hell. And that's what my sins deserve, and that's also what your sins deserve. But here he speaks about making our sins disappear like a cloud. And how wonderful that is. Christ took your punishment, the punishment that deserved eternal death, so that God can make your sins disappear like a cloud vanishing into thin air. He forgets them. He remembers them no more. That's what he's done for you in Jesus Christ. And through this, he brings us into fellowship with himself. He says in verse 21, My people, you will not be forgotten by me. How wonderful. God forgets our sins, but he will never forget us. God remembers us, but He will remember our sins no more. This is the wonderful grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so the Lord who has bought His people back, He calls them, He calls us to serve Him again. He says in verse 22, Return to me, for I have redeemed you. And what does it mean to return to the Lord? It means to devote yourself to Him once more, come to God with all of your heart, 
hold nothing back. Let go of your idols. Let go of your sins. Don't try to serve God and something else. Serve God alone. Make him number one in your life. And don't let anything get in the way of your relationship with the Lord. Worship him and no one and nothing else. Serve the Lord. Come to him. He has bought you back. Verse 23 ends our text with a call for creation to praise God. The heavens, the depths of the earth, the mountains and the trees are called to sing and to praise and break out in praise for the Lord has redeemed his people. This is an, an occasion, the forgiveness of God in Christ for all of creation to rejoice. And why would creation joyfully sing at our redemption? Well, because the salvation of God's people also means the renewal of the world. Listen to Romans 8, 19 and 21. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom, the glory of the children of God. God will renew this earth. When that renewal happens, not only will all of creation praise God, we too will sing God, God's praises forevermore. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing Psalm 111, stanzas 1, 2, and 5. Thank mm-hmm. you.